0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is presented by Dirt Candy and Shoebox.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: What does a 21st century digital pantry look like? Find out on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 65 countries around the world. About a million listens a month. Today is Tech Bytes, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And that intersection covers a pretty broad definition of things from cooking technology to food growing technology to digital software platform technology to help us get to great food in real life. And that's the subject of today's show. We are talking about St. John's Bread and Life's Digital Pantry, and we are joined by some familiar voices. We have Tony Butler, who's the executive director of St. John's Bread and Life. He is also a Heritage Radio Network board member.
4: Yay! <laughs>
3: and one of the early, early, early guests on Tech Bytes back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Tony, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Also joining us today is Erin Fairbanks, another familiar voice. You've heard her.
4: Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs>
3: She is also a returning guest. You've heard her lots on Tech Bites and on the B-side. She also has her own show, The Farm Report, and is the founder of Be Kind, Be Fierce, Ladies' Night. They're here today to talk about the 21st century food pantry model, Digital Choice Food Pantry, which is a project that they've been working on, which is really um, kind of Kind of fascinating, and we'll get into that as soon as we dismiss with the first order of business on Tech Bytes, which is always talking about apps.
2: Ah-ha. Apps we love,
3: old ones yeah. we, that have been living on our home screen since 2007, new ones we've just discovered. And we'll go to Dave Tadishor, our engineer and Heritage Radio Network's...
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, wow, What a great audience. <laughs>
3: It must be the sunshine and the weather because Bushwick is hot this morning.
1: It's a hot neighborhood. Oh, my brother.
3: Yeah, this show is fire. What do you got for us today, Dave?
1: Well, I'm still searching for a replacement to the Android file transfer uh, app. I, I don't know why this is so difficult in 2017 to find. Um, and I thought I had a breakthrough yesterday, in fact. I thought I had. I like went into the... Uh, administrator settings on my phone and, like, enabled USB debugging, and I still can't get it to work, so I don't know what's going on. Uh, I tried this other app. I can't even remember what it was called because it, it, like, it seemed to be working fine, and then it, like, I went to copy a whole album's worth of music, and it said, like, oh, you have to upgrade to the paid version to do that, and I was like, no, Uh, absolutely not. Like, for something as simple to... To refresh everybody's memory. I'm just trying to find a simple app that I can use to transfer files from my computer to my Android phone. That's it. And I don't want it to be over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. I actually... I was transferring stuff over Bluetooth last night and it was taking... So an these are insane music. amount of time just to transfer some music files.
3: These are music files you want to transfer,
1: correct? Yeah, specifically. Yes, and I understand. I have Spotify. I understand what music streaming is. We,
3: the, we had don't. the suggestion. We had the suggestion yes, of Dropbox. Very helpful
1: suggestion. Thank you. But no, that's not what I, I, I want. Something <laughs> that I can transfer over USB. Period. Please help.
3: OK, so if you are answering the call of Dave Tadashore, get in touch with us at H R N on Twitter and Instagram or send us an email, techbytes at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And this is the third episode we're looking for solutions. Yeah, We've I had mean, some that haven't worked, so it's an Ooh, ongoing struggle. On. Yeah. Or, on or to if somebody from
1: Google wants to reach out and tell me why the pixel doesn't support this app anymore or the latest version of android i don't even know where the where the choke point is but somebody, all right people get you, this. you
3: have your your mission yeah. get back to us help a help an engineer out thank you so aaron so, nice to have you back great <laughs>
4: it's great to be here i actually downloaded a new app this morning did
3: I, you read the terms of agreement before you did
4: I absolutely did not.
3: Okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, yeah. No. I, that, I'm definitely one of those people who's guilty of the like oh, just accept and assume it'll all be fine <laughs> for like ninety percent of the stuff. Um, but I was cleaning off my desk this last week and your physical desk. My physical desk. Okay. Not um, your desktop. No, my de- my physical desk and. Um, I just got back. I was out in San Francisco for a week, and I was out at the Good Food Awards, um, blind tasting. I met all these great people. I had, as I often do coming back from a trip, a pocket full of business cards that I put in my special spot on my desk where I put all my pockets full of business cards, and then every three months, I take that pile and I throw it in the garbage. And I was like, I know that there is a, a... like better solution to this. Like occasionally I'll like follow up with someone immediately, right. but I've just never really developed a great system for really Rolodexing those. I
3: have a Japanese cookie tin that I put all the business cards into.
4: And you just hold mm-hmm. on they to sit. Them?
3: They sit in a spot on my desk also for a little while. And then I either get right. in touch with people or I don't. And then they go to the cookie tin and they just sit there. And I have business cards from way back and then I move progressively to larger and larger cookie tins as the collection <laughs> as grows. The collection that's grows, that's my methodology. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Good. Well, there is a better way, guys. I did some internet research this morning, because I had heard from a friend that there was uh, a series of apps where you can take a photo, and it will upload and store mm-hmm. them and put them into either like a CSV file or an Excel file, so you can have a digital version of those contacts. Or you can sync them directly to their phone. So I, I read an article that did a, a bit of a review on, I think, uh, five different apps. And so I just I chose the top rated one, um, <laughs> which is called Cam Card. Um, and so I'm excited. You'll have to wait till next time because I, I did it right before the show. So uh, I, I no haven't pictures. actually used it yet. I've just kind of like looked through the basic features. But what it says it can do, I take a picture of a business card and it will upload it and kind of read and Mm -hmm. then sort it so that i can and then also within the app i can kind of do a jazzier version of my business card so let's say jen gets it as well and um uploads my a a paper copy of mine Um, it it also has this kind of social networking feature where i can appear in a more jazzy version um, online i don't know exactly what that will mean but does it include jazz hands Maybe jazz hands, you, you know, maybe some like glitter. Experience. Bedazzling, some flair. Bedazzling, flare. some flair. Um, Set you know. with jazz. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So so I will report back next time I'm on, but I'm hoping this is going to solve my, my issue. This is
3: a further reminder to me to start a poll somewhere, keep track of all the apps in a more scientific fashion to see which ones get mentioned. But... CamCard was an app that was called out by one of the shoebox guys oh, on really? their first i think mm. on their first visit to tech Bytes. um and they're way into you know scanning and photos of yeah, documents they're ways, so that's their thing yeah
4: they're way into like that's the thing about shoebox that's so cool is like yeah. you can basically like scan into their inventory system like you know Anything. you like write a piece of lipstick on the back of a napkin and yeah. they're like we got it recorded for you I'm yeah like, cool. that's what i need
3: Tony, do you have an app that you like right now or an old favorite that you use?
5: I do, though I like what Aaron was talking about because I'm kind of old school. I have an administrative assistant, so here, type these into my contact list. Yeah. (laughs) um,
3: I'm waiting for for the App Store to start selling those. Yeah. (laughs)
5: Um, Started, um, kind of preamble to it, Um, my wife's had some health concerns and the the treatment's over. One of the rewards we're going to do is we're going to go to Portugal. So I said I should start learning a little bit of the language. So I've been using uh, Duolingo. Oh, great. And it's very cool. I actually started with um, the Rosetta Stone, mm-hmm. and I I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, it um, but Duolingo is really um, their little green owl and tells me when I make mistakes and, and corrects me. And supposedly, the green owl says I have a 38% fluency now. We're doing about half an hour a day. All right. Um, it's, the only thing that's odd with it is on different platforms. I have it on a Windows phone, I have it on uh, an Android device, and also if you look at it through Chrome, it has slightly different features. Hmm. They're not um, all the same.
3: That's interesting. So
5: some like more speaking into it, some from another doing a lesson on another one's less. So I don't know why that is. but it, it's a,
3: Which one has more of the speaking into it? Is that the...
5: Do, without an app, actually. The more speaking into it is just doing it on a desktop hmm. through Chrome. Um, and, huh. and so I don't know why that is. But it's, it's kind of interesting. It's also got these funny little stories that you have to interact with to, uh, to learn. So I feel like I'm... I, I like it because I actually feel like I'm learning something.
3: That's great. When are you planning your Portugal trip for? We're
5: leaving uh, Friday the 13th in October.
4: Oh, my so goodness. That's in about, like, three weeks. I'm counting the days. <laughs> well, so we, we can get up should, to 39% I can, fluency yeah. before.
5: So i got to be able to order wine. and
4: The important things. <laughs> yeah.
3: Last week's episode, we had uh, travel apps. We had mm-hmm. the founders of two different travel mm-hmm. apps, uh, Journey and Walk. Mm-hmm. And... At the beginning of the show, when we talked about apps, um, we had the we had actually three women founders, which was great. They all gave suggestions for different travel apps, mm. and some of them were fantastic about how to get you know free Wi Fi, how to yeah. skip the uh, how to get into the short TSA pre check line right. without having TSA pre check, mm-hmm. oh, and some wow. things like that. Yeah. So I recommend checking out episode 112, the travel apps episode, because yeah. they're. The, the first half of the show is ch- packed with a lot of good pro travel oh, tips. I'm yeah, going to check yeah. that out, yeah. too. Yeah, it's quite good.
5: Yeah.
3: So my app this week is a, is a very simple one. I'm, I've observed just a huge number of, you know, the, the healthy Fitbit-type, you know, Apple Watch fitness things that you wear, and it tracks how far you've walked and how many steps you've taken and all those kinds of things. And they're kind of pricey or not. You know, there's a big range, but there's an increasing number of them around. And I would just want to let listeners know that if you're interested in tracking how many steps you've taken and how many flights of stairs you've climbed, if you have an iPhone, your phone is already doing that. <laughs> there is an app called health app. It has a red heart on it. It is one of the preloaded apps on your iPhone. And if you open it up and you click on the activity tile and open it up, it will tell you exactly all that information. As long as you have your phone with you on you while you're walking and climbing and moving around throughout the course of your day, it tracks it Mm. automatically. No need to buy a gadget or gizmo or thing
4: to wear it's already doing it I'm looking at mine right now I'm like oh it's been an interesting week (laughs) right yeah so far today I've taken 859 steps so I've got about 9,040 to go (laughs) (laughs) you gotta give me that at the end of the day man
3: (laughs) Uh, I'm at 1,148 today which is not much but I walked 5.2 miles yesterday nice so anyway that's just a sort of public service announcement sometimes it it's worthwhile to really take a second look and a little bit of a deeper dive into what's already in and on all your stuff (laughs) a lot of times I think we feel like we need to go out and get something new to solve something or to track something or do something and A lot of times you don't. So there it is, the health app, instead of buying something new. And on that, we will go to our focus of the show, the 21st Century Food Pantry, Digital Choice Food Pantry. So St. John's Bread and Life is located in Brooklyn. You can find them online at breadandlife.org. Um, they're at 795 Lexington Avenue in Brooklyn, and they are one of the largest food pantry, um, commu- I would call you more than a food pantry. We you're are, a right. community center, your training, your yeah. services.
5: Yeah. Immigration, medical, psychiatric, tax, big tax program. Education, kids,
3: yeah. cooking demos.
5: A little library.
3: <laughs> all kinds of stuff. But one of the principal services that you provide is food and Mm -hmm. food pantries. And their digital program has been in effect since 2008. And it came online with the new facility that Mm -hmm. you moved into back then. And one of the things that we were talking about earlier before the show is, was a digital system revolutionary in 2008?
5: It was in this arena. I'm not sure if it was. I mean, as I mentioned, I think in the last show, I was kind of inspired by some POS system in a diner. They put my bacon and eggs in and shot the order in the back and was handling the inventory. But the notion of using interactive technology for lower economic folks was seen um, um, as revolutionary. It was very difficult to raise the money for it initially, which wasn't as significant. I think the original software was about $60,000 or so to have it customized. And I realized as I was going around looking for funders, most funders thought that poor people were too stupid to use technology. And it wasn't until I found a funder who said, that's a kind of neat idea. Let's see what it does. And,
3: uh, There's so many terrible things just about that generally. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm rarely a person oh. who's speechless. Um, <laughs> but I'm just kind of staring at Tony across the, the, the transom of our coffee table and, and headphone equipment. It's sort of amazing to tie intelligence to economic yeah. status. Um, kind of terrible when you're raising funding now to support the the new versions of it and you know the new technology do you find the same responses has the paradigm shifted because we all live lives that are so technology enabled and one footnote is you know talking about the apps before the iphone came online in 2007 so 2008 you're about a year into everybody's new digital right. life. And now we're 10 years in from the iPhone. And we have you know, electronic pay. We have everything via the app. You can order cars, food, services. It's just how we yeah. live.
5: It, it, it's become normative. It's funny. 2008. I think I was still using my BlackBerry back then. Never wanted I might to have do had,
3: it. I, I, I probably had a BlackBerry, maybe. Yeah. No, I got the first iPhone. Yeah. Um,
4: I'm thinking Palm Pilot. Also, anybody remember the Palm Pilot? I had a Palm, pilot I, palm had a, pilot. I went from the flip phone to the iPhone. Yeah. and skipped all that. Yeah. yeah,
5: I had all those little PDAs to organize myself. Yeah, thought they were <laughs> very cool. But yeah, it has changed, but not enough. Um, um, it still seem sometimes as sort of a luxury. Why should you have this? Why don't you just give out food? People come in, give them food. They should be happy for that.
3: So digital technology is still considered a luxury. It's not yet broken the barrier of right. just becoming part of day-to-day yeah. life. In, like a it, phone it, is like right. day-to-day in, life, in, right?
5: In my, if you'll call it industry, I don't think it's become part of it. I mean, it's part of the day-to-day life and bread and life. It's not among the folks who are using it. They see it as very normative when they come in. right um, now, it's the way we do stuff, and we use our digital ordering system for our Christmas program. We have a baby program where people get diapers and we have a homeless program that provides toiletries for folks, and they order it off of that, So, because I mean, it's an ordering system. Um, so that's become normative. But as, and Aaron can speak to this a bit, as we go gone out and done some consulting and, and talked to other emergency food providers, it's taken a while for them to say, look, this is a really good thing, not just because of the efficiencies, um, increasing the, kind of the customer satisfaction piece, increasing how fast you serve people and giving them a choice, but that it should be the normative way we serve folks, because... It's the normative way we serve people in this country. So everyone should be roughly served the same way.
3: Everyone should be sort of living life the same way with the same technology and the same things. So Aaron, you've been working with Tony to um, give some shape to the program because there's quite a bit of interest from other organizations around the country. So you're sort of codifying the system to help people and then you know go out and, and raise money and evolve the St. John's mm-hmm. platform you come from the food world and nonprofit. I I would be curious to see, on on the surface, coming from that point of view, this seems to fit right into the very big storyline we've been seeing, which is how to solve hunger, how to create more food, how to feed everybody, like tech feeding people. Has that been the case? Or is it because we're talking about poor people or people in need, there's a disconnect from those things?
4: Well, that's an interesting question. I I think like from where I've sat with this project, one of my like my primary role honestly has been to pull information out of Tony's brain <laughs> to interview him
3: <laughs> as an interviewer <laughs> yeah.
4: and put it on paper and work with him to kind of organize that so that other people can benefit from the, you know, almost decade of work that he's done in this area. So I think some of the things that really jumped out to me um, about the digital system is it's just kind of more of like of, it gives a more efficiencies, more compelling storylines, better. It's like a it's like a win, 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 win on like every level. Um, so it's easier for the staff to administer. It helps reduce waste. It provides, um, from a fundraising standpoint, great kind of like metrics really helps you tell specific compelling stories to your donors. It looks nice. Like Mm. when you walk into the facility, it, it doesn't feel like I'm walking into, um, into a food pantry that I think, I think that is maybe a little bit, one of the things that I was surprised was like the aesthetics question Um, we did a project recently where we were looking at five different sites that wanted to implement a digital system and one of the things we kept coming back to was really the need for good aesthetics in the space so one, providing the digital technology but two, when folks walk into a space that these communities really deserve something that looked beautiful, that looked modern I think that's one of the most striking things about visiting Bread and Life is you walk in and there's skylights and beautiful paintings on the wall and it feels like a mod it kind of feels like a modern like really lovely like library or entrance to some type of specialized museum and I think there was a little bit of resistance across the board or this idea that that those aesthetics don't really matter you're just here for the services and I would say that like tech is kind of part of that they're like oh it's just about getting food, the other stuff doesn't matter. But I think it it all matters. And like ultimately St. John their their work is not giving people food. Their their work is lifting people out of poverty. And so if you can show people that path and they feel welcome, they feel encouraged to use one service, then there's all these ancillary services beyond what maybe they even walk in the door that can help kind of show them a pathway to no longer need any of the services. But it's got to be a nice place to be. It's got to feel good.
3: So there's so many things uh, to unpack from that, from, from your answer. The first piece is the functional aspects that you're talking about, the Digital Pantry Program, are exactly the same types of things that startup founders have said in this studio talking about their software platforms, business Mm -hmm. platforms, and apps. They talk about being more efficient for the business. They talk about inventory management. They talk about better usage for the customer and efficiency. They talk about more efficiency and money savings for your staff. They talk about um, better controls on inventory, so less food waste. And all of these things are important and relevant and critical to all of these restaurant, food service, even some farm, you know, farmer management programs, retail platforms. And again, what's sort of the disconnect when you cross the line from, from, you know, retail and for profit into the nonprofit space? Because it seems kind of the same thing to me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know, and like, I mean, I yeah. could see you,
3: I could see both of you um, at one of the, you know, founder tech startup stand up spotlights where, you know, you stand up and you pitch your thing and you talk about how, you know, we're going to show great metrics and we have greater customer engagement mm-hmm. and we right. you know have better inventory and we're controlling waste management and food waste and all this. I mean, these are all the high points of everything we're talking about right now in the food I, tech space.
5: I, I think it, it's a question of what the ROI is on it. If I'm a tech startup, return on investment. Yeah, that yeah. I'm, I, if I'm creating a for-profit company, the fundamental thing is I'm going to make money with this. That's going to be the betterment, and what I do with the money can depend. But that's the that's the fundamental goal of a business is to create a product that you can sell it and make money with. Our return on investment is to make the community better.
3: Right, your return on investment is much more fundamental because yeah. it's about the longevity
5: of, of people. Right, people, <laughs> communities, infrastructures, and all that. But that's a different way of looking at it. We've historically, particularly in the United States, and probably even more particularly now, have not seen that as valuable as dollars. Well, I, well, that's. Hmm. I'm not, and it's not to castigate the business community because there, I mean, we have a huge level of philanthropy in this country and people who really take that money. But it, in terms of how it's viewed sometimes, um, uh, this response to poverty and what needs to be done is not always seen as valuable, particularly if it's a long-term kind of thing. We see now...
3: You need to wait a few years.
5: Because, I mean, we're good at responding as Americans. We're great at responding to, generally, to disasters. I mean... Generally? Yeah, um, um, but you, you take Texas. I mean, the Red Cross has more money than they know what to do with. We We can respond in that adolescent way, kind of heroic, do a great thing and run out, you know, and... Save the save, day. Say people yeah. who are trapped, Dun, and, da, da, da. And, which is a great thing, and we, you need to do that. But we're not so good at the long-term things that can prevent that or reduce the catastrophes of those. So people had resources, we, um, or even hunger. We're not. It's a solvable problem that we were not ready to do.
4: I also think that people. This is the thing. Another thing that came up for me frequently is that people are um, judgmental of people who are low income. Mm-hmm. They're at times. Afraid, they think that they're more likely to try and kind of get one over on the system, or there's this idea of like taking advantage. I feel like we really vacillate All between like stereotypes. They're they're yeah. they're really like there, and you don't see that on like a person to person level when you're dealing with someone. But I think when you're talking about folks in in groups and the, a lot of the clients that Bread and Life is serving, it's easy to make all these like, kind of wild uh, assumptions about them or have expectations about how they live their lives and judgments and this idea that like because you're asking these services that somehow I as an individual get to like tell you what you should and shouldn't right. do. The mm-hmm. autonomy piece gets lost in there a little bit too. Well, it's
3: like with uh, friends. If you lend a, If you lend a friend some money, Oftentimes, people think they should be able to tell that friend what to do with it or right. pass judgment on what they did mm-hmm. with it. And you know, if you wrote any advice columnist, they would probably <laughs> be sure to respond to you. If you're going to give the money to your friend, that's it. Yep. You don't get to say. Right. And you should give it as a gift. And that's the end of that. But we're going to take a quick break and find out who our sponsors are who have given us the gift of funding. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. We subsist entirely on support from our members and our amazing sponsors like this one.
1: This episode is presented by Dirt Candy, the award-winning vegetable restaurant on New York City's Lower East Side. Dirt Candy was the first vegetable-focused restaurant in the city and the leader of the vegetable-forward movement. Its new location opened in January 2015, and it was the first restaurant in the city to eliminate tipping and share profits with its employees. Dirt Candy. Anyone can cook a hamburger, leave the vegetables to the professionals. Learn more at DirtCandyNYC.com. This episode is also presented by Shoebox. In French, Shoe, that's spelled C-H-O-U-X, means cabbage, something we could all use more of. Shoebox is the restaurant industry's first web-based point-of-purchase service that helps everyone organize their paperwork, understand their purchases, and save time every step of the way. 86 Your Invoice Insanity with Shoebox. Learn more at C-H-O-U-X-B-O-X dot oh.
3: If you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, <laughs> the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is St. John's Bread and Life Digital Choice Food Pantry. We are joined by Tony Butler, who is the executive director of St. John's. He is also an HRN board member. We love him. He's also a former guest on Tech Bytes. He was on episode 41, which was our first Thanksgiving episode titled, Put the Giving into Thanksgiving. Something to think about as we come upon the holidays. Mm -hmm. Joining him and me is Erin Fairbanks, who's the host of The Farm Report, which is Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. She's also a repeat guest on Tech Bytes. She has been collaborating with Tony about creating a document about what their 21st century food pantry model is and how other organizations can implement a similar program because, A, it's super efficient and effective and saves a lot of money. B, we live in a tech-enabled world and... I would assume that there's a sort of secondary effect of utilizing a digital system for your clients, which is bringing them also into the tech-enabled world. There's so much evolution happening very rapidly in the day-to-day of how we live in terms of using a phone to pay for something, or using a chip, or ordering just about anything from an app or online. We don't need paper anymore. So... Do, is, have you found that there's a secondary effect to your constituency, in terms of bringing them up to living in a tech-enabled world?
5: I would say very much so. Um, we see um, I mean, initially we saw a greater involvement in um, our, uh, our library, which has full internet access. We see it um, in doing classes on different apps and teaching people about those and, and how to engage with those. We see it that um, one of the things we've got to do is figure out some um, smartphone charging station um, that we didn't anticipate when we built the building. Um, and some other projects I'm working on that really are seeing um, that this, this whole digital platform is is now embracing everyone. There's a group called Picture the Homeless, which is a, um, a homeless advocacy group working on affordable housing that's completely um, smartphone-based. They have no physical location, um, and they organize through that and their protests and... And like that, so it has become. I mean, we use a, we have a large tax program that brought in over three million dollars last year, and it's completely online appointments. People have to sign up for them, Um, and I think by starting the digital food pantry and saying that's okay and that you can do this, then you start trusting the other stuff, because it's not really the mechanics of it. Um, They're not that hard to use, Um, but there was, is this going to work for me? what's the best? Like, any of us would put an app. We've got some dumb apps on our phone that we thought and we never use them because they just don't work right. Um, So that that secondary benefit of people can trust this digital platform and trust other digital platforms to start meeting some of their other needs.
3: Well, one of the interesting things is, you know, I'm back to one of Aaron's earlier points about, you know, the stereotypes that endure about you know, people who are in moments of economic need. And that could be a short term moment that happens at the end of the month or because you lost a job or because you had a medical emergency or you're just moving to a new place. That could maybe be a longer term thing because of, you know, different reasons. Um, but not being able to adapt to technology is something that we, are okay with all the time. I mean, one of the biggest services of the Apple stores is that they have these ongoing free seminars. Mm -hmm. And I've been in some of them. And they're filled with people who want to know how they get their email on their iPhone. So I mean, not understanding or being entirely comfortable with all this technology is not something that's limited to people who are in economic stress. No.
4: No, not at all. I think too, um, and I think this is an important part is that that I think there's an assumption of people who use soup kitchens, who use food pantries, that that's their kind of main access point for food. And I think one of the other interesting pieces of the technology is Tony can see how how much is an individual coming, and when do they come, and what's the kind of onboarding and offboarding rate of things. And that most people are using these services in, time, in, in moments, primarily serving the you know working poor. And I think there's a lot of those kind of assumptions that actually being able to have like real data to turn and point to is actually super useful. And I think one of the other pieces that I, we, we were talking about, Tony and I were talking about earlier this week, was for folks who are currently in this country um, and have undocumented status. And that is something that St. John's has to think about um, in the digital space, what kind of information are you collecting? Who has access to that information? How it's protected? how someone can get it and and thinking about making sure that they're accessible to those communities.
3: who Who has your information, how you store it and who has access to it is, you know, obviously really critical if you're undocumented. but is also a big storyline right now, battle, you know, Senate battle and talks in Washington about, can the big you know, telecommunications or cable companies sell your IP information or right. your browsing history? And when you downloaded that app, in the terms of agreement, you know we did an episode reading the terms of agreement for Instagram with an IP attorney. Great episode. Y- people give things away all the time, and you know being cautious and about and protecting your personal information mm-hmm. is, is something that. Everybody should be concerned about, and any organization that's collecting information and, and using it you know, should be concerned about. I'm curious also to know, again, the, the current uh, food tech startup community, and I would say this has been going on for at least a couple years, is very focused on feeding the planet, sustainable things. A lot of the um, entrepreneurs are... Uh, social enterprises. They have a mission. They want to do good things. Has that movement and mindset impacted you in a positive way at all? Are you separate from that? Because, again, you're in a different space because you're dealing with people who are economically, you know, challenged? Is it... Do you have all these young entrepreneurs knocking on your door no. saying, we're going to feed the people and solve all these world's problems and we're going to help you?
5: We have some. We have some. Not as much as I would like. Um, because the pro- still, the problem is looked at as a lack of food problem. But the problem is really a poverty problem. It's, it's economic injustice and our kind of distorted food world economically that still in this country, good food is more expensive than cheap food. Yes. Uh, um, Essentially, my travels to Europe, they've that's been flipped on their head. That food is very affordable, um, good quality, um, non-GMO, organic food um, is in your regular stores. So, so that's an issue. So, some of these aren't, Some of the, that food movement does tend to favor the folks who can afford it. Yes, and, that, and that's what it, I'm trying. And we've had some success, and in, and in, in our partners with our farmers, and we partnered with five farmers and purchased from. I spent last year about a quarter of a million dollars on sustainably grown uh, between milk and um, produce. Um, so, so we do that. Um, my thing is, and part of my, I think part of my job and part of my mission is to tell this story and say to these tech folks that this hunger problem and this poverty problem is created by the community. It's a manufactured problem. It's not because we've had a a tsunami or a drought or, or whatever. It's a manufactured problem. And so as the community creates the problem, then the community's got to come and figure out how to solve the problem.
3: Sort of clean up your own mess, and
5: so that's what I bring. Even if they haven't created it, we ha- we have an obligation to our neighbors. Um, yes. So, um, and and so that's been an interesting intersect. That's I think where the intersect happens a lot.
3: It's a very interesting disconnect because, again, so much of what you're talking about in terms of these, the tech platform and you know the inventory management and customer you know service and efficiencies for staff mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. Plus the social enterprise, you know, doing good for the world piece mm-hmm. is is really all over the tech space now, yeah, and it it's is. it's interesting um, that you this project and these types of organizations somehow don't don't fit into that.
5: And I think that's where the few, I'm more and more as I'm working on other tech projects around poverty issues and homeless issues been advising been asked to to work on these projects i think that is where the future is going to be for solving these
0: problems
3: they're so adjacent to each other that you know at some and i'm thinking back to all of the founders that i've i've heard stand up and and make their pitch about how their software platform is going to you know connect the farmers to people and you know end food waste and all these kinds of things and better food distribution and those kinds of things but they there seems to be a, a, a little bit of a, a line of demarcation.
4: Well, I think bottom line is like the technology is a tool that we run mm-hmm. as as humans, as like. So it's le- not an A.I. As, pantry. Yet. No, okay. as oh. like leaders. And, organ- and like I think that's the thing that c- also came up a lot in the work that Tony and I have done together. It's like the tech is great, but you still need the, the people are still the most mm-hmm. important part the and the people who are able to like pull that data and use it in ways that is useful and i i'm thinking about like like these companies who are saying they like that their tool could do all these things they still need to on some baseline way be committed to doing that and i i like you know blue apron is coming to the top of my head right now because they're going through such a kind of tumultuous time but like one of the things that was really their claim to fame was all this work around sustainability mm-hmm. and then you look at like what they're actually investing in and what they're supporting mm-hmm. and i'm like it's cool to say that but you, you then you have to do it then you have to use the tools Can we are about the designed. packaging yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> you know well not even just the packaging but like when you have you know all these different meal kits every week that people are ordering in a variable way, then there's a lot of food that just doesn't get shipped out that right. week. And, and how is that food getting used, and where is it going, and does that really make sense in, in yeah. the grand uh, scheme uh, of things? So it's to, like, well, ultimately, the people have to use the yeah, tech. Right,
5: right. It's interesting. We're doing a, a project um, with IBM. We were awarded a, a large and kind project for their uh, technology for the social good and we're actually craft speaking of ai we are using some of those resources watson
3: chef watson yep, it's
5: out of the, it's yep. out of it's out of that same department i mean these people are it's really it's fascinating really really Super intelligent smart.
4: Right, one man. of
3: my favorite tech bite episodes actually yeah we did actually. an episode with ibm chef watson and bonaparty
5: and they're and they're but they've come interestingly they've come and volunteered for us they came and volunteered and worked with us for like 3 or 4 days to get us before they started doing this first time i've really worked with a very powerful tech company says, let us understand what you're doing so we can see how to help you and create this thing. As opposed to here, I got this tool because you know it's, sometimes it's a bit of a sales pitch. And I've got this new tool that might help you. So um, this project's going to be released uh, late October, and I think it's going to be some very interesting stuff.
3: Well, that's very exciting. Maybe you'll come back and, yeah. and talk with us, and maybe yeah. we should get some VC types into the room and, yeah. and have a little pitch show, and then put you into the, uh, <laughs> the tech pitch show. That would be very interesting. Yeah. We are just about out of time, I'm sad to say. If you want to hear more from Tech Bytes and with Tony Butler from St. John's, check out episode 41. If you want to learn more about St. John's Bread and Life and these amazing programs, they are at breadandlife.org. They're located at 795 Lexington Avenue in Brooklyn. You can follow them on social media at Bread and Life on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to hear more from Erin Fairbanks, listen to the Farm Report on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You should also check out her BeKindBeFierce.com website. There's a lot of really interesting ladies' nights, programs, events, and things happening. She is also, if you have a project in development, a partner with a group called Grout. Grout, yeah. Grout Projects, which is an idea development consultancy. She's also been on Tech Bites prior, episode 73, Ham and Eggs, and check out the B-side, which is not tech-related, but fun. <laughs> Mostly food and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> if you like Tech Bites, come back and see us every Thursday at 11 a.m. or subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Tech Bytes is hosted and produced by me, Jennifer Leuzzi. It is engineered by David Tadashore. I want to thank Uptown Nico, our DJ, who created our theme song, No Matter CPU Track. We hope you enjoyed the show. See you next week.